Hello and welcome to the commentary track for episode one of uh, The Pendant Shakespeare's Double Falsehood by William Shakespeare. I am Jeff Robinson, co-director for this production, joined by my fellow co-director, Adam Blanford. Adam, good to have you. Thank you. And we are also joined by Morgan Z. Sowell, our esteemed uh, dramaturge for this production. Morgan, good to have you as well. Absolute pleasure. All right. So, uh, double falsehood. First, let's talk about, uh, you know, selection of this uh, particular uh, text. Morgan, um, you know, I, I, as the dramaturge, you kind of pick the, the shows that we do over at Penn and Shakespeare. And uh, this is one of the lesser known ones that uh, wasn't really even readily accepted as Shakespeare until a few years ago. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about about this play and what, what appealed to you? Uh, well, it's interesting because, uh, the, you know, as you say, double falsehood wasn't even uh, part of the canon until till fairly recently. It's usually been attributed to a different author. Um, oh God, I'm drawing a John John Fletcher. Um, but da modern data analysis of word choice and things, which is beyond my understanding, but it's quite impressive using uh, computers and numbers, and algorithms. Uh, have have gone from saying it was Fletcher with Shakespeare to saying that it was predominantly Shakespeare, and uh, some of the main uh, Shakespeare collections, like the, uh, the the Oxford Complete Shakespeare, now publishes. Uh, if you buy the complete works William Shakespeare, uh, double falsehood is now usually going to be included. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I googled a couple articles about it uh, when when you selected um, you know this particular show, and it seemed like a very controversial decision at the time. With some scholars saying, "Well, they're just trying to put out more books and and claim it's Shakespeare when it's really a bunch of bunk." Well, I'm afraid I don't have the 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 reading to make the argument one way or the other. But I'm going to lean with, lean with Ox, Oxford on a. On this particular issue, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very interesting one, and uh, you know, this could be, as far as we know, the the very first audio adaptation of uh, this particular work. So it's exciting to tread sort of um, new territory here, and not uh, you know do another production of Hamlet or King Lear and such, which you know there have been billions of productions of uh, all all over the world, of course. Um, so this is the opening scene uh, between our Roderick, played by Adam Blanford, uh, my co-director as well as Duke Anhilo, uh, played by uh, Gareth Boley. Um, and now we are transitioning over to uh, Camila, um, who is written as Camilo in the script, but uh, we changed to, to a woman. And then uh, Julio, played by uh, Chase Greenlee. And sorry, Camila, played by uh, Julia Eve, a longtime um, pendant uh, t regular who's uh, absolutely terrific so terrific cast here um and uh and morgan what's kind of what's kind of going on in in this scene here between julio and uh, camila uh well what's going on here is that uh the the duke is inviting julio to court and his mother who is uh kind of overprotective and uh is browbeating him saying what have you what have you done to, to deserve to go to court why why are you such a big shot uh, and, and and Julia Eve, of course, uh, she, she as always knocks it out the park, uh, loving but hilarious and, and cruel and uh, Shakespearean Shakespearean working class mother. <laughs> yeah, I love that uh, the letter references horsemanship, and she's like, "What the crap does he know about horsemanship? Like he can't ride a horse to save his life." <laughs> yeah, they really do quick quickly nail with their characters that we have the the upper crust uh, Duke and his children, that we have Julio and Camila, who are. Uh, you know, lower, lower class and uh, 
The lower class characters, you know, they don't talk with the same verse structure. So in, in audio, you can kind of feel it, even if you can't, you can't see it written on the page. But you can kind of feel how they don't have the same da 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 da, -da that the nobles speak with the uh, the, the pentameter. Which is the better? Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Um, and and one of the challenges of this scene um, for me and uh, a lot of Shakespeare um, is, you know, there are long sections of dialogue where there isn't necessarily a lot of action per se you know you can't uh, throw in sound effects of various things happening because really it's just two people who are just sort of sitting there talking so you have to sort of set the scene with uh, ambience you've got to add more subtle sort of noises like uh, clothes rustling or jewelry clinking or uh, various things happening in the background uh, to keep it uh, interesting from an auditory perspective since uh, you know you can't you can't throw in all this action uh, until the action actually happens um, but uh, there will be action later uh, not to worry not to worry um, you know Adam um, you know what was what was your experience like um, you know working on working on this episode and, and working on this play um, I, I'd say it was challenging from uh, you know, from a musical perspective because mm -hmm. you know trying to figure out about the, the musical accompaniment because we just had to scrounge to find some really good Spanish guitar tracks. Um, yep. And then from uh, from an effects perspective, yeah, there there were a lot of there's a lot of exposition and a lot of just uh, discussion between characters. There's not a lot to go on. I think I lucked out in that, you know, I get the, the scene later on where, you know, um, a character gets shoved out of, off a window or off a trellis and into a right. stack. So I got to do something. But uh, it, yeah, there, there's a lot of, of uh, stationary exposition and arguments taking, taking place. And so you really have to find ways to vary that soundscape to make it more. Uh, vibrant is it not there? sure Ex exactly yeah yeah hit the nail on the head and um yeah that's that's a big challenge as a as a director but uh you know what a what a pleasure for sure to to be able to listen to these these uh actors uh julia and and chase in uh in this scene and just take in their magnificent performances and uh i was particularly impressed at how well um the characters, you know, the actors really um, understood the text. Um, you know, it's easy to just kind of read your lines in isolation and and not really take in what is actually happening in the scene. But you can tell from um, you know the the way that they performed. I could definitely tell that they really not just read the words but understood what they were saying, which obviously is of critical importance in Shakespeare and and uh, especially important when you're really kind of self-directing um you know recording your lines on your own time uh in your own space rather than working with a director live who's telling you exactly what what the text means and and certainly morgan your your notes in the script help uh help them interpret um but it is a challenge for actors that uh uh, you know, the actors in this this uh, cast rose to that challenge of, of actually taking in the text and understanding what they were what they were saying. Um, Chase, in particular, I think will come up on on some of his greater lines later. I love the pauses that he that he adds in there when he's talking about. Um, I just paused there because that's the exact line I was talking about. I love how he goes, I pause, have not moved her yet. <laughs> like he, he, he said it that way in that particular take. And I'm like, okay, that's the take right there. Like uh, no other take is possibly going to be as good as that one. Um, so yeah, he did a, he did a particularly good job with the, the text. And pauses are such a great weapon in the arsenal of the audio actor. It's sometimes it's intimidating to let, let there be silence, but the silence can say oh, yeah. so much. Uh, when in a performance, when you hear those, someone taking their time with it, 
that had the courage to be silent for a second is always a a great moment. Oh yeah. I've used it a time or two. I gotta use it more. She therefore has not eyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, not not only as an actor, but also as a director. Sometimes you've got to let to know. You've got to let the scene breathe. You've got to add a bit of silence. I tend to be a sort of a, a fast-paced type of uh, dialogue person. I tend to edit my scenes like really, really snappy with every piece of dialogue coming right on the heels of the other piece. But sometimes that's, um, you know, what what's called for is really the opposite. You want to let the scene breathe. You want to add space between the lines um, that, that can really have an impact. Uh, so it's, you know... When you're when you're directing the scene um, and editing the dialogue together, um, you know you really can have such a major impact on on how that scene plays out for sure, based on how quickly you edit the dialogue. Suspicions of what cannot be. Are you Absolutely. Misbecomingly, I am loath to say. For all that waits. And when it comes to both, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say when it comes to both the actor's uh, performance and uh, my own adaptation of the script, there was the, uh, I, I guess, the elephant in the room is there's no movie of Double Falsehood. There is there is no BBC recording of a Shakespeare play of Double Falsehood. Uh, I've never adapted a play of a play I've never seen, so this has been quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Um, yeah, certainly can't think of any adaptations uh, as well. You could probably find one or two on YouTube, perhaps, but it's probably some community there, theater production on the other side. There of the is world only theater. one on YouTube, and it's just bits and pieces of a of a community theater production from about ten years ago. And you can barely hear them, but I'm all at least I can at least once see some of these movements. Exactly. But I think now, I think uh, with, with Pendant on board, this will probably blow up now. I think uh, we're the first step to double falsehood mania. Exactly. We shall spread it to the forest reaches of the worldwide trend. It will be very exciting, though, if a student has to read this play and they Google for a performance, that will very likely be the first thing they find. That's true. Help Pendant Audio, helping students not read their text since 2022. <laughs> well, Shakespeare's meant to be heard. It's not meant to be read. Shakespeare should be seen and heard. It's dead on the page. Well, true, true. One, I remember taking Shakespeare classes. One thing I enjoyed uh, with this. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, w I enjoyed with uh, this scene and the other scenes is uh, getting the the reverb exactly right which can always be a challenge adding just the right amount of reverb so that you get a sense of the space that they're in um you know and i've been sort of getting more and more comfortable with using reverb because you, you don't want to overdo it because then it sort of drowns out the dialogue makes it difficult to hear um but adding just the right amount to give that sense of space you know the echoes of uh of the room that they're in um can really um add a lot to a scene i think yeah, I'm doing some other stuff where I have to have reverb and inner monologue, and so I have to create two different kinds of reverb, and it's definitely challenging, and you have to be really discriminate in what you're using. Yeah, I'm kind of like the sort of adjust one setting and experiment and just do it over and over and over again like i'm not an expert on things like decay rates like i don't even know what that means to be honest with you like all these all these technical this technical mumbo jumbo that you could uh spend years and years researching i'm just like all right i'll try this thing if that doesn't work i'll tweak it again i'll tweak it again and uh lots and lots of trial and error that's for sure <laughs> 
tried and will remain. Well, it pays off. With a firm and If you listen very closely, I probably shouldn't say this. If you listen very closely, you can tell where I sort of loop the ambience in the background because that church bell, that periodic church bell keeps coming back in. I was like, hmm, is that, is that too possible? <laughs> it's a very pious town. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Hey, they ring bells for other things. And in my absence, my noble friend, right, exactly. Our honored guest, the Lord Enrique, <laughs> will, in my behalf, hang at your father's ear. Yeah, ambience is another thing that, um, again, can impact the scenes so much um, if you get it wrong. Like, for example, a lot of ambience, you've got to be careful to make sure that there isn't like uh, the sound of a car oh, yeah. going down the street in the background. Like that, that's going to ruin your scene right away. If like right in the middle, there's somebody's a Volkswagen going down the street or something. Oh, I mean, I mean, um, so yeah, so, yeah. For Pericles, there were a couple of them that had people shouting obscenities in the crowd for the crowd noises. <laughs> totally. So to figure out how to loop totally. it so it didn't capture that. But only that I have a life in chase. Exactly, yeah. And since since our production of uh, Double Falsehood is supposed to be set in, you know, Andalusia in, in Spain, uh, if there's any, like, background chatter, you want to make sure it's actually in Spanish. It uh, doesn't sound like you're in New York City yep. or Boston or something like that. <laughs> oh, a challenge I hadn't even realized. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's nothing worse. Yeah. So this is uh, uh, Sarah Palmero um, playing Bernardo, um, and uh, you know we kept this character as a as a as a man as um, um, Leonora's uh, father, uh, doing an excellent job, um, you know, giving a very um, masculine performance as as uh, Don Bernard, um, and uh, you know she has great range. You can hear her in other pendant productions like uh, Genesis Avalon Patriot. Um, um, she's narrated a ton of audiobooks, but uh, great, great talent and great, great add to the cast. Oh yes. As thy beauties seal thy eyes. And here, Chase, uh, you know, one of the one of the things I did with this scene was um, he has a lot of asides that he sort of says to just himself. So that's where you kind of take away the reverb um, to make it sound like you know more intimate. That he's you can tell he's just mumbling to himself, sort of rather than speaking to the rest of the characters. In giving my consent the only uh, copy of the full text of Double Falsehood that I could find uh, didn't have many of the asides uh, labeled. I guess that's uh, actually not, not a Shakespearean convention. Those have just been adopted over time where you would put aside right. uh, in the script. So I, um, some of them were, but a lot of the times I'd have to just very carefully read and figure out, oh gosh, this is supposed to be an aside here. Better, <laughs> better label that. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely... Um, uh, yeah, definitely. If you don't have that context to go off of, I can I can see that being difficult. Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I've only done uh, one actual stage production of of Shakespeare myself. I did King Lear back in 2017, and uh, we used a copy of the text called the Arden Shakespeare, which is so chock full of like footnotes on every scene. Like literally, like a third of the page is is footnotes on every single page. Um, because there's just so much to absorb and to, and to take in uh, from a context perspective. I am so certain I've missed a lot of context in this show, but I have definitely done my best. <laughs> I mean, the show is, uh, it is um, Don Quixote fan fiction, basically. Um, <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's adapting from, from uh, Miguel Cervantes. This is this whole story is a small aside. Some other character tells in Don Quixote, <clears throat> and Shakespeare took it and expanded it and uh, 
if Julio isn't based on Shakespeare, I want to, I want to believe that it's self-insert author uh, Mary Sue fanfic. <laughs> but that's just me. I can't back that up academically. <laughs> Shakespeare, the fanfic author. Here is our uh, ML Earhart as uh, Enrique. And, um, and uh, let's see here, pulling up the uh, cast, we've got... Uh, Coming up here, uh, Abigail Eliza as Violante, and uh, our Gerald Josh Kibbe, who uh, you probably recognize his voice from uh, Pericles as well. Always nice to get some returning folks in the cast. And uh, Adam, this is a scene that uh, that you worked on heavily, and like you said, is where it uh, finally introduces a, a little bit more more action to the plot. Uh, what were some of the some of the things you found challenging and or enjoyable working on this scene here well i, I at, at first so some, sometimes I, I would read this scene and um since i'm looking for the audio cues um i i would sometimes skip over some of the context and so it took me a little while to realize he was climbing up the side of the damn building so uh, so i once i figured that out it, it really did help but uh the, the the effects were good um you you provided me with all the effects because you were you're, you're an overachiever. Um, you, you, you gave exactly. me all the effects, and so I went ahead and mixed it all in. But, I mean, it was pretty straightforward, um, all things considered, because, you know, I'm just trying to get him to, to fall. I, I wish I could have panned it in some way to show that he was falling, but uh, you can only do left and right really well uh, rather, rather than uh, up and down. Or that's been my skill set, so, you know. <clears throat> but, no, it was it was great. Yeah, no, I, I love how the scene turned out. And, and you bring up an interesting point when it comes to panning. You know, panning is one of those things that uh, it it's enjoyable when done well, but like you, it can definitely be overdone. Like you listen to some other audio dramas out there where like the sound is just constantly bouncing back left to right and that kind of thing. And it's just the kind of thing you want to you want to do it subtly when you do it and not uh, not over rely on it, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a it's a dimensional effect. one of the speakers was out in my car one time i was listening to an audio drama and one character was just not there <laughs> good point. Well, he was completely right channel and he didn't exist to me good point yeah and and you know folks are hard of hearing in in one ear often too so you got to keep that in mind as well like you never want to pan somebody so that they're literally just in one channel because yeah a bunch of folks are just not going to hear them at all and think that there's a hole in the dialogue i mean we i mean we were taught in our in our or director class that no more than 60% panning because you have to make sure that there's some audio preserved on the other side. And uh, there's very little negotiation on that. So, yep. I, I got so lucky when I found this track on uh, the Toon Peddler. I mean, <laughs> Oh, it's it's great. I, I love that Enrique actually is is scoring the scene himself. He's telling his servant to play the music. It's it's uh, it's diegetic music. There's a guy there playing guitar for him. It's almost like a Monty Python bit. <laughs> but the only thing was that you know it is that if we had music that was you know outside of the scene and scoring it, and then music within the scene, the only thing I wished I'd done was done a little bit more distinction, kind of like um, added some kind of filtering to affect the audio just a little bit so that it was inside the scene. And I, I didn't think about that at the time. Oh yeah, that's that's tough to pull off. Yeah, that, that diegetic approach. Which I'm going back, which I'm preserving. My maid's name, 
to hold so long discourse? My lord? And who would have thought that this act would conclude with a dude falling into a haystack? Slapstick comedy style. I thought ML's that, that, he gave was perfect. Yeah. And I mean, really, the first time I had mixed it together, the effect of him screaming and the falling effect, I only had to set it once. Because normally I get the timing right, so they overlap, right? And it locked it perfectly. It was meant to be. Of some ancestor, <laughs> of singular quality, she doth inherit deserts to outweigh me. I must stoop to gain her. Throw all my gay comparisons aside and turn my proud additions out of service rather than keep them to become. Yeah, and we should mention here, uh, you know, a, a huge part of the plot that's coming up happens not uh, not on camera or on microphone, so to so to speak, and. Uh, yeah, once uh, once episode two comes out, you'll you'll know uh, exactly what we're talking about. So, but some some tough tough subject matter, um, certainly, and uh, very very dark dark themes that uh, episode two starts out with for sure. And that's Shakespeare for you to go yeah. from uh, to slapstick comedy to life yeah. life shattering difficulties in, in uh, the space of a couple lines. Yes, yes, it's so true. <laughs> all right well we're coming up on the end of uh, episode one again uh, jeff robinson co-director of pen and shakespeare joined by adam blanford and our dramaturge uh, morgan z soul we're uh, wrapping up episode two as we speak and uh, working on episode three so lots of goodness in store for you i just want to note that i did record these credits in spanish just in case just for variety because honestly trying to pronounce the spanish names and switching back to english pronunciation is kind of challenging and, and i thought it would sound better and more seamless if i just did it in the spanish accent and i got got nixed by management so i want to say there is a recording of it. in full in full spanish language or just spanish I did the accent? Whole thing in spanish the the entire oh. you know uh, the the pendant shakespeare you know Conocido también Wild Bill Variety Show Episodio Uno del Doble Falsehood by William Shakespeare, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I have a full full recording where I did all the all the credits and. We should we should do both in episode five. <laughs> the last one. Adam, I look forward to to seeing you break into the telenovela uh, narration industry. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, catch up with you all soon. Bye. Have a great night.